Well, good evening. My name's Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm also Summer's next-door neighbor. Uh, my wife and I have three children, and Summer had just the sweetest relationship with them. They exchanged coloring pages and gifts. Uh, we had dinner together. She came to our kids' birthday parties. Um, Summer was the closest neighbor that in our eight years of marriage we've ever had. Uh, I was talking with her mother, Gina, yesterday. Gina is Summer's adopted mother. She met Summer while she was still crawling, but she said it was love at first sight. And uh, Summer was entirely lovable. If you met her, she would bring you right into her personal life very quickly. More than all of that, however, Summer loved and was loved by our Lord Jesus. And in our gospel reading from John chapter 11, we get a picture of how Jesus reacts to the death of his loved ones. We know that Jesus loved Lazarus because John repeatedly makes it abundantly clear. In the beginning of the chapter, the sisters tell Jesus about their brother saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And then John says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. But the real giveaway is in the section Aubrey read in verses 35 and 36, when Jesus breaks down and weeps bitterly. This is the only place in this gospel where Jesus reveals his deep human emotions. It's at the funeral of his friend. And Lazarus wasn't just any friend. All throughout this story, John gives us little hints that Jesus' relationship with Lazarus is special. Jesus visits this home often. And John names this home after the women. He doesn't name it the home of Lazarus after the man, which would have been the custom in that day. No, he names it the house of Mary and Martha. The most likely explanation for this is that Lazarus suffered from a debilitating disability. We're not sure what it was. All we know is that he had a very special place in our Lord's heart. So imagine Jesus' deep sorrow when he gets the message, Lord, he whom you love is ill. The one you love the one that you visit and bathe, the one you love with tenderness and affection is in danger of death. And so Jesus weeps. Why? He weeps because the poor and the weak, the disabled and defenseless, the vulnerable and the victimized are incredibly special to him. 
Summer is the one Jesus loves. Many of you know how Summer suffered from mental illness and trauma. How she endured so much pain in this life that we could never imagine. Jesus does not overlook this. In fact, these sufferings are the very thing that binds his heart to hers. Not out of sympathy, but out of the purest, strongest, and most sincere love that has ever existed. And so when Lazarus falls ill and dies, Jesus weeps. He weeps like we do over summer. And he weeps with us because death is a terrible thing. It is an end. It's a breaking of something beautiful, a fracturing of a future that we once saw so clearly. It is a crime. And that's why Jesus does more than simply weep. He gets angry. Twice in the passage, Aubrey read, John tells us that Jesus was deeply moved. Once in verse 33, when he sees Mary weeping, and again in verse 38, when he arrives at the tomb. But the Greek word behind these translations, ebremaomai, is much, much stronger than deeply moved. It actually means something more like to bellow with anger. B.B. Warfield was a Presbyterian theologian at Princeton in the early 20th century, and one of his most uh, important essays is called The Emotional Life of Our Lord. And here's what he says about John chapter 11. He says, what John tells us in point of fact is that Jesus approached the grave of Lazarus in a state not of uncontrollable grief, but of irrepressible anger. Now, why is that? What is Jesus so angry about? He goes on. When Jesus saw the distress of Mary and her companions, it enraged him because it brought poignantly home to his consciousness the evil of death, its unnaturalness, its violent tyranny. Inextinguishable fury seizes upon him. His whole being is discomposed and perturbed. It is death that is the object of his wrath. And behind death, him who has the power of death, whom he has come into the world to destroy. Tears of sympathy may fill his eyes, but this is incidental. His soul is held by rage. And he advances to the tomb as a champion who prepares for conflict. He says, what John does for us in this particular statement is to uncover to us the heart of Jesus as he wins for us our salvation. Not in cold unconcern, but in flaming wrath against the foe, Jesus smites in our behalf. He has not only saved us from the evils which oppress us, 
He has felt for and with us in our oppression and under the impulse of these feelings has won our redemption. Summer's suffering cannot easily be explained. I don't know why God allowed her to suffer the way she did. But I do know this. Jesus is furious about it. He will not let this slide. He will not let this be swept under the rug. He will not let Summer's death have the last word. No, one day, Jesus will conquer evil once and for all. He will finish what he started at the cross and the empty tomb. And all the sorrow we've ever experienced, all the grief, all the anxiety, all the loss and loneliness, all the pain and suffering, Jesus will one day look square in the eyes, the cause of all these things, and destroy it once and for all. If you're a Christian, that's what you get to look forward to. The reckoning day when Jesus unleashes his righteous resurrection anger against everything that has caused us pain and brings it to justice because nobody, and I mean nobody, messes with the one Jesus loves. When Jesus arrives at Lazarus' tomb, he prays, but then he shouts. John tells us in verse 43 that he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And I can't help but smile at the word voice. Many of you know that part of Summer's struggle was that she heard voices all the time. And these voices would tell her terrible things. They would lie to her and frighten her and shame her. But now all the voices are gone. That is all but one. It's the voice of her Savior. Calling her by name. Calling her closer and closer and closer to himself. Can you imagine the freedom Summer is experiencing right now? She is safe and loved and treasured and cared for and befriended. She's in the arms of Jesus. His voice had been drowned out for so long, but now she hears it loud and clear. Summer, you are my beloved daughter with you. I am well pleased. Summer is in heaven. And the unbinding that we heard about, the unveiling of Summer's true self has already begun. She is totally and utterly free. But it's only just begun. One day, 
these ashes will rise, just like Jesus did. And summer, the truest and loveliest summer, will join us in the enjoyment of God's new creation. It was hard to tell my summers about to, to tell my girls about summer's passing. But I was so helped and inspired by a text message I received from Zoe Myers, who was in small group with Summer and me. I'm going to quote it, and there's, there might be legal ramifications to this. <laughs> Indeed, we all loved her and will sorely miss her. But won't it be glorious and fun when we get to meet the real Summer? No scars, she says. No voices, no sadness. But surely her lovely smile will let us know it's her. Thanks be to God, the eternal hope, that eternal hope is even more real than the grief we're experiencing tonight. It is the hope of the resurrection. It is the hope that one day everything that is sad will come untrue and death itself will begin working backwards against itself. The whole of creation will be rejoicing in reunion with all that's been lost. And summer will be there, forever changed, forever loved, forever new, forever free. Until then, we wait and we weep. But we wait with Jesus, and we weep with Jesus, and we walk with Jesus, because he is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him, though she die, yet shall she live. And everyone who believes in him shall never die. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.